This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. All right, the title of my message this morning. First of all, do you have a Bible? Let me see it. Let me see your Bibles. Put that electronic thing down. Put that down. <laughs> real Bibles for real people, the real Word of God, okay? So get your real Bibles out, and we're going to, I want you to underline, I want you to mark, especially two scriptures today, but we're going to look at quite a few, but uh, we're, the title of my message is, what is the value of the blood of Jesus? What is the value of the blood of Jesus? And then the second question that goes, uh, that, that can't go begging is, what is your value? What is your value? So the other day I was uh, looking at some new cars and I was looking at the price tag of the new BMW overseas. It's 85,000 US dollars. That same car in Zimbabwe is 170,000 US dollars. And and I asked myself this question, is that a good price? What do you think? The latest BMW, is that a good price? 170,000 US dollars in Zimbabwe? How about 85,000 in the USA? Is the vehicle worth it? Well, it depends if you like BMWs or not, okay? How can you tell if it's worth it? I don't know. But how many of you have ever tried to negotiate for a car? You know, maybe you think it's the only one in the showroom. How many of you have ever gone to the showman? It's the, it's the, it's the only one there. And you think, hey, you know what? This guy's desperate. Maybe I can get a good deal. And so maybe you think the car's only worth 65000 and so you go and you begin to negotiate. And depending upon, depending upon your skills as a negotiator, you might be even able to persuade the dealer to bring it down to $65,000. But what if it's a really popular model and there are people standing in line to negotiate? Do you think you're going to get $65,000? No. The asking price is eighty-five. dollars and then what happens if the local town millionaire walks in and without flinching he offers $250,000. Now, between your 65,000 and the businessman with his 250,000, who do you think the salesman's going to go with? So, here's my question. What is the real value of that BMW? The 65,000 you're willing to pay? The 85,000 sticker price on the window? Or the $250,000 that the businessman has offered? What is the real price? Well, what is the value of a human life? An abortion rights activist would probably give one answer. A pro-life advocate would probably give another answer. I can tell you this. People who see the divine image in humanity would answer that question differently from those who view mankind merely as an end product in some long and random evolutionary process. You know, I know that the teaching on, I I knew this all along, that the teaching of evolution was wrong. I couldn't tell you why I knew it was wrong, but I just knew it was wrong. Now today, not only do I know it's wrong in my heart, Science is finally catching up with the Bible. I mean, and if you don't know that, 
the evolutionists are in a tailspin right now because all their well-laid theories to debunk God are coming unraveled at the seams. And YouTube's an amazing place because it takes some very intelligent people to put some very, very intelligent arguments together scientifically. And so I think it's time to study this again, look at it again. I know you were dumbed down and trained by school. I know you went to school and were told a bunch of stuff. And they lied to you about a lot of stuff. That's why we're still in the dark ages in Africa. Because you were lied to. You were duped. And even today, your education system dupes you. Keeps you stupid. Keeps you from asking real questions. And makes you in servitude to the man. Sorry. And you send your kids willingly to become slaves to a system that will never let you excel. Because it's not God's system. I just did. Now you have to understand that I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated to watch how many people have been beaten down by systems that were never godly in their origin. You know, to find the truth, we need to look to God as the creator. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. Would you agree? What, does val what value does God place on our lives? I think this value should be, or this, this idea should be of supreme interest to all of us. Well, let's just see what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to use the amplified version today because I love the way it says this. It says, you must know, that is, recognize that you are redeemed, ransomed from the useless, that is, fruitless way of living inherited by tradition from your forefathers. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish. Oh, man. You have not been redeemed or ransomed with the useless or fruitless way of living that was inherited by the tradition of your forefathers? Not with corruptible things like silver and gold? No, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He's redeemed you. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, the Phillips translation says this, you have re been redeemed at tremendous cost. At tremendous cost. On the one hand, the value of a thing is determined by how much the highest bidder is willing to pay. The millionaire was willing to pay a quarter of a million dollars. Why? For the prestige of having the first, maybe the only, new BMW in town of that model. So he could drive around and show off. And for him, 
It was worth every cent of it. What is our value to God? How much was he willing to pay? The Bible says that God purchased us at great cost. At a cost actually greater than you and I can comprehend. You and I can't really comprehend this, to be honest with you. He purchased us with the lifeblood of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me just try to balance this out. All of the world's known resources of gold, silver, diamonds, emeralds, precious metals, gems, you put them all together, could never compare to the value that God places on one human soul. How much are you worth to God? You see, our enemy, the devil, will try to convince you that you are nothing but a failure, that you've fallen too far, you sinned too much for God to care about you anymore. That's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus purchased you with his precious blood, and his blood is more precious than anything else on earth. Amen. He paid the highest possible price Amen. for all of us. Corporately, together, all of us as believers make up the bride of Christ. Jesus paid the bride price for us. And that price was his own blood. That's some bride. That's some labolo. Every year, Forbes magazine, which is a leading publication around the world, uh, lists the top 100 richest people in the world. Carla Slim, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Sam Walton are regular names. They sit regularly at the top of the list. In fact, it's been reported that the top 65 most wealthy people in the world control 99% of the world's wealth. Isn't that amazing? 65 people control 99% of the world's wealth. The amount of wealth staggers the imagination. Yet, in spite of their financial prosperity, they are not truly the richest people on earth. Material wealth alone does not one make one truly rich. The richest people in the world are those who know Jesus Christ and those who have seen the kingdom of God and have come to understand the value of their souls. You know, life really can't be understood without an eternal perspective. So many people don't have an eternal perspective. But if life is only measured by this world system, then the only measurement you really have is money, things, stuff. And if that's your value system, then your value system is really squonked. You're going you're gonna to miss out on the eternal values for natural ones. But see, once you know what your soul is worth, once you know how much God really thinks of you, 
you will know that you could pile all of the wealth of the earth on one side of God's scale and you stand in the other side of God's scale and it would tip in your favor. It would tip in your favor. For you and I are more valuable to God than all of the wealth and all the treasures of the world put together. God loves you. God has you in mind. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, our soul is more important than anything that the world has to offer. Nothing in this world is worth trading our soul for. And yet, if you, again, just, you don't, have to go, you don't have to go very far. You just have to turn on the television. And you can see that what used to be hidden is now being made evident. People are openly confessing that they have sold their souls to the devil. Your great rock stars that you listen to, most of them have openly confessed that they serve the devil. It's not a secret anymore. It used to be, oh, no, 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 no. You can't talk like, I'm telling you, all you have to do is go online and Google. Put whoever's name you want in and ask, have they sold their soul to the devil? And they come out openly and say, yes, I have. I am a devil worshiper. Yes, I serve the God of this world. I worship Lucifer. No, no, there's a whole theology around this now. It's all about being successful. It's all about being popular. It's all, and, 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 and folks, that's why we have to guard our hearts and understand the true value of a soul. And don't mess with your soul. It's yours to sell. You know, you have to have a revelation from God if you're going to understand the value of your soul. And this is the reason that so many people spend so much time pursuing earthly things and so little time on spiritual matters. Because they have no revelation. They don't, they, don't, they don't get it. You know, if you really knew how valuable your soul was, you'd invest in it. But if you don't, then you just live like everybody else. There's a difference between head knowledge and revelation knowledge. There's a lot of people that have head knowledge. Head knowledge makes you smart but it won't affect your heart. I, I, I see it in our government. We have a lot of brilliant people at the head of government. Letters behind their names that go on forever. Doctor this and PhD and XYZ and, you know, MBA and MBC and I don't know, all these, I mean, just unbelievable. And we strut like peacocks. So, so smart in our heads, but no revelation in our hearts. You can see there's no revelation in their hearts because we can't even solve simple problems like putting 
a little bit of asphalt in a pothole. That, that's not a real hard problem to solve. Only if you're a politician is it hard. Amen. I got one amen out of that. <laughs> the rest of you. No, I tell you, you can have book learning, but no street smarts. You can, you can have book knowledge, but no common sense. And I tell you what, you can have book knowledge, but no spirit of wisdom. You see, when God gives us revelation from his word, it is a living truth that penetrates to the innermost core of our being and changes us from the inside out. Nothing, no one, whether hell or death, Satan or demons, can take revelation away from you. Once you have revelation, let me tell you something. Once your eyes are open, nobody can tell you anything else. And, and, and God is opening people's eyes today to the truth. And once your eyes are open, you can seize the foolishness. You just look at people and say, no, no, that's stupid. Oh, that's foolishness. Because you're not moved by their ignorance. You're not moved by their lack of understanding, their lack of knowledge. Because you have revelation. You have insight. You have wisdom from above. That's what makes you stand out. God loved us enough to send his only begotten son. His unique son to die in our place for our sin. Jesus loved us enough to give his life willingly on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sin and that we might receive eternal life. Such love is incomprehensible. And God knows that it's incomprehensible. But he wants to reveal it to you. That's why it requires salvation. It requires a revelation. God has to give you a revelation for you to understand this. If you don't see it, you don't see it. And without God revealing it to you, you can't see it. In fact, look at Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 19. I love this. And, and just leave this scripture up for a minute because we're going to have to look at it for a little while. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derive its name. That he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now let's break this down. Notice that because we're part of God's family, we have access to his riches in glory. God says, hey, I have riches in a glorified place that you don't need to worry about on this earth. He says, you have access to the riches of glory. Why? Because you're a family member. Now, let me tell you, one of these riches is the presence of his Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. Notice again. Read the scripture. It says, we cannot make room 
for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith until we are strengthened with might through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. What comes first? See, people always tell me, yes, I found God. No, you never found God. God found you. The Holy Spirit did something on the inside of you so that you could respond to God. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your inner being, he gave you power, he strengthened you so that you could accept Christ to dwell in your heart by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourself, it's the free gift of God. This is important. It is only by the Spirit's power that we're able to exercise faith. Through Christ, who comes in to dwell in our hearts. Why? Why did God give us the Spirit to strengthen us in our inner man so that Christ could dwell in our hearts through faith? Why? Why did he do that? It says right there. He did it so that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And so that we would be able to comprehend the width, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Christ. In other words, God gave us his spirit and his son to redeem us so that we might know his love. The Bible, though, says the love of Christ that passes knowledge. So how can you know the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of the love of God that passes knowledge? How can you know what you can't know? That's the question. How do you know something the Bible says you can't know? Because it's talking about two kinds of knowledge. There's two kinds of knowledge. There's book knowledge, and some of you know all the book knowledge, even about the Bible. You know all the book knowledge. You go to Bible school, you get all the degrees, you get, and you know the Bible, but you don't know the Bible. You don't know the author. You don't have revelation. You just have knowledge. And knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, the revelation of God is more powerful than the knowledge of God. And he says, I'm going to give you a knowing in your knower that surpasses the knowledge in your head. I'm going to give you a revelation of God that is far superior to anything you can ever study about God. It's always amazing to me that our greatest theologians are the first sometimes to become agnostics or atheists. Well, I've studied God my whole life, and now I've come to the conclusion in my learned abilities and my learned opinion that there is no God. And I have to concur with the Bible. The Bible says, and only the fool says in his heart that there is no God. There's a lot of fools around today. 
So how's another way of saying this? See, God gave us his spirit and God gave us his son to redeem us. Redeem us. God's love has to be spiritually discerned or, or it has to be revealed. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us that discernment. It's that Holy Spirit who gives us that revelation. The person of the Holy Spirit. You know, what makes Judaic or Judeo-Christianity or Judeo-Christian religions different from any other religion? Well, no other religion has a concept or a conception of a God who loves them personally. Only Judeo-Christianity, Jews and Christians are the only ones that know of a God that loves them personally. See, we all used to be the same way before we came to know Jesus Christ. But the Lord revealed himself to us and brought us to a place of faith. Now he wants to use you and I to reveal himself to others so that they too could know his love, just like you and I do. You know, I, 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 I've met a few Buddhists in my day. I love the Buddhist people. When we were in uh, Malaysia, a lot of the people in there in Malaysia were Buddhists. And we would talk to the Buddhists. But, you know, the Buddhists are always looking for the way of Buddha. Buddha couldn't give them love. In fact, these people were oppressed. And they're never finding the way, but looking for the way. And trying to do that through contemplation, through peace, through opening themselves up that maybe Buddha would give them light. It, it, it's an amazing thing, but they are in constant fear of Buddha. It's a fear religion. Islam, Muslims, I'm telling you, there is no greater fearful religion than Islam. Hey, and when you talk to a Muslim, they are afraid. They're afraid of God. This is a fierce God, a demanding God. It's a God who demands things of you. And it's fierce. And I think it's easy to become an infidel in that religion. And everybody's an infidel. And God hates them. And you do God a favor by killing them. Taoism, Shintoism, all fearful. Witchcraft, shamanism. You guys grew up in witchcraft. You know how fearful it is. You're still, some of you, afraid. You, God sets you free, but you still act like you're bound. Oh, 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 oh. I, I come to your homes and, you know, you're still worried about which witch doctor did, is doing the curses in your family. Who cares? A curse calls us cannot alight. I'm free. I'm not part of that system anymore. Amen. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Bring your witch doctor. I don't care which witch doctor you bring. You can't curse me. Why? Because I'm blessed. I'm in Christ. But see, I have a revelation of it. Some of you still don't. Some of you have it here, but you haven't got it here yet. 
Just tap your neighbor. Say, I think he's talking about you this morning. That's you. That's you. All right. I'm going to quickly go now, okay? I'll start my message now. <laughs> I want to look at two parables, okay? Two quick parables, okay? Parables, somebody said it this way. They said parables are simply earthly stories with heavenly meanings. I like that definition. So I want to explore two parables that reveal the depth and the magnitude of God's love for us. The first one is found in Matthew 13. Go ahead and turn there, Matthew 13. And just keep your finger there because we're going to stay right there in Matthew 13. But Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. And it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Treasure. I'm tempted to tell a joke, but I'm not going to. Imagine a man walking through a field, and it's just like any other field, but as he's walking through the field, he discovers great treasure in that field. Suddenly, this ordinary field has become priceless in his eyes. He hides the treasure, and he runs off to purchase the field, even selling all of his possessions in order to raise the money. Now, it's true, there may be many different ways to view this parable, okay, so I'm, I'm not saying this is the only way. Uh, many interpret the hidden treasure as the kingdom of God and the field as the world and the man, when he discovers the kingdom of God, he's willing to give up everything in order to possess the kingdom. I understand that. Others say that, you know, uh, Jesus is the, the, the treasure and once you've... You know, once you accept Jesus, you give up everything for Jesus. He's the treasure in the field. You know, and, 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 and I'm not saying those aren't valid. But uh, this is also a valid interpretation. I want to approach it a little bit differently. The field represents the world. Throughout the scriptures, you can make a case for the field representing the world. And the man walking in the field is Jesus himself. From this perspective, the treasure represents you and I, the people of God. Jesus came into the world looking for people to redeem out of the world into the Father's kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus came seeking the lost. Those people are the treasures or the treasure hidden in the field. Finding them and understanding their priceless value, Jesus willingly gives up everything, including his very life, in order to gain that possession, to gain that treasure. Think about it. When this man in the parable discovers the treasure, what does he do? He wisely keeps it hidden until he has a chance to buy the field. Why? 
Well, otherwise, word of the treasure might get out and suddenly there's a lot of competition for the field. A useless field has a bunch of competitors trying to buy it. Why? Because somebody found out there's a treasure in that field. The man sells everything that he has and he buys the field. Let me ask you a question. Does he really want the field? No, 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 no. He wants the treasure that's hidden in the field. To get the treasure, he has to buy the field. Does he begrudge the price he has to pay? No, because he knows the worth of the treasure. There's a movie that I love to watch. I still watch it. From time to time, I'll just call it up because it's such a great movie. It's called The Count of Monte Cristo. Have you ever seen that movie? I love it. This guy gets framed for a crime. We're not sure he commits. He goes onto a desolate island and while he's there... Serving his time, there's a monk that meets him and tells him of a, another island where there's an incredible treasure, incredible wealth. So he and his friend go and they actually find this wealth. And he goes and he uses the wealth, this incredible wealth to buy one of the most fancy mansions in his old hometown. And he changes his appearance and he invites everybody and he, he uses it. Let me tell you something. When you get wealth, you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. But it's a great story. It's a great story. I, lo- I love the story. But he found a great treasure. He found a great treasure. What I'm trying to say is that Appearances can be deceiving. We may have to penetrate beneath the surface to find the true value in something. This field in Jesus' story may have left the sellers or others perplexed as to why the buyer wanted to buy it in the first place. I mean, they looked at the field and they see thorns and the soil's been depleted. Nothing really grows there. It's kind of a worthless piece of ground. It's been sitting here for years and years and years. Nobody's ever buy it. But you see... The man knows the real value, the real worth, and that that value was laying beneath the soil. Jesus knows our real worth as well. He looks beyond the surface of our sin, beyond the surface of your failure and our failure and our rebellion against God. And what does he see? He sees precious treasure, lives ready to be redeemed and bought back for the kingdom of light, for the kingdom of God. John 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world. He didn't love the field. He loved the people of the world. He loved you. He loved me. And he gave his life, the life of his son, for you. So what does he get in return? Good question. He gets all the whoever's. Tap your neighbor and say, are you a whoever? Who are the whoever's? 
all who will believe and trust Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Anybody who wants to be in intimate relationship and, with, and, and in fellowship with him forever, those are the whoevers he wants. So the treasure in the field represents the total company of believers, all the whoevers from every generation of mankind. Let me give you the second parable. Just look down one verse in your Bible. Verses 45 and 46, Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this time instead of a man seeking a field or a man in a field, we see a merchant searching the jewelry market. Instead of a great treasure, there's just one exquisite pearl of great price. Now, by the way, this, this merchant isn't just window shopping. He's an expert in precious jewels. Now, you know the difference between shopping and buying. My wife is a shopper. My wife... And I usually give her one day out of a trip where I go with her the whole day and I'll shop with her. And I know how it's going to start and I know how it's going to end. <laughs> we usually go into a store that she likes and she sees something she really likes. And she tries it on and I help her and I get her two or three more things and we leave it behind the counter. Because we're not buying that yet. Because there's ten more stores in the mall. And so we go from store to store, from store to store, from store to store, and we do the same. And eventually, after we've been to 10 different stores, we go back to the first store. We buy the first thing that she tried on. But now she's certain. Yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But now she's certain that she got what she really wanted in the first place. Because she's tried every other dress, every other pair of trousers, everything else on in the whole shopping mall. Now, that's how most women shop. I, I, I've been told, I don't know. I, I, have commi I, I have commiserated with a few other men. I have spoken to a few other men and we, we kind of concur on this topic. Now, men are entirely different. For the most part, now there's some women that are kind of like me and there's some Men that are kind of like my wife, I understand that. It's, it's, it's not cut and dried, I understand. But some of us men are, well, we're really not so much shoppers as we are buyers. And, and not really even buyers, we're hunters. We go in, we know what we're hunting for, we look at it, we kill it, and we take it home with us. That's it. It's, you know, we, we, I, 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 don't, I don't spend more than... The minimum amount of time I have to in a store. I know what I'm going for. I don't look at anything else. I buy what I want. I get what I want and I leave. And I'm quite happy. But it's a sale. I don't care. I didn't come for the sale. I came. I saw. And I conquered. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Just tap your neighbor and say, I think I know that kind of person. I think I know who he's talking about. You see, this merchant, he knows the worth of gems. 
He knows exactly what he's looking for. And one day he comes across a pearl like any other that he's ever seen in his entire life. And knowing the priceless value of his find, he quickly sells everything that he can and he buys that pearl. The merchant is Jesus. The marketplace implied in this parable is the world. And the pearl of great price, the people of God. In fact, to make it even more personal, think of the one pearl as representing you. Each individual person. No, each one of us is so personally valuable to the Lord that he would willingly give up everything he had to redeem each one of us. In other words, if you were the only person on earth who needed to be redeemed, Jesus would have still come to die for your sins. The same is true for me and for anyone else. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background, no matter what your past or what people think of you. When Jesus looks at you, he sees a pearl. He sees a treasure. Your past isn't what matters. Jesus is not so concerned with where you have been as to where you're going. He really gets concerned about where are you going. What matters is who you are now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And who are you becoming by the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the devil has really taken a grip of a lot of people in this world. Everywhere I go, in fact, in Harare, sometimes I could hardly mingle with people anymore. Not because I don't want to, but because of the sense of worthlessness that I feel in so many people. Life seems so harsh. Not only in Zimbabwe, but all over the world. It seems so unfair. I think people often wonder if they really matter. Does my life really count for anything? What difference does my life make? You see so many people committing suicide today because what's the use? Then you have repressive regimes and Sometimes we have unresponsive or at least incompetent governments that have made issues of hunger and sickness and poverty, just regular facts of life that we have to endure. These governments don't really care about the people. They just care about the optics, what looks good in the paper, what's in it for me. They're inefficient, they're incompetent, they're unresponsive, but they only add to the plight worthlessness amongst people. Then on top of that, especially here in Africa, now creeping into the whole world is the idea of divination and sorcery and witchcraft, demon possession, occult practices, every kind. It's, pre- it's prevalent everywhere. And this just holds more and more people in the bonds of fear and iniquity and ignorance and spiritual darkness. Can I tell you something? All of these people, every person, regardless of where they are, is a pearl 
great price in Jesus' eyes. He paid the price already for their redemption when he gave his life on the cross. The ransom has been paid, but many don't know it because no one has ever told them. That's where we come in. Look at Romans 10. I'm almost done. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, sometimes we think that's for preachers. No. That's for all of us that have been redeemed. You're a preacher of good news, a bringer of glad tidings, of good things. You preach the gospel of peace. And I want you to know Jesus is not going to be satisfied <coughs> until every pearl of great price that he has paid for is found. Until every piece of treasure his hidden treasure has been found and brought home and cleaned up. Turn with me to Revelations 5. Revelations 5, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. You know, I read through that and it's so rich. But I wonder if you even see it. It takes revelation to see. Did you know that? They sang a new song. These are the elders. These are the 24 elders. And they start singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, nation. And you've made us to be kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Wow. Do you understand who you are? Do you understand how important you are? I want to direct your attention to one word there. It's a word that I don't think we even understand hardly anymore. It's the word redeemed. For many, the word redemption has little meaning. In fact, it's just become a religious word. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. What does it mean? What does redemption mean? It's a very important word. It's very powerful. So it originated in the ancient business world. And it was used in the slave markets and referred to the price paid either to purchase a slave or to purchase a person's release. Think about it. In the New Testament days, when a bill was paid or a purchase was completed, the bill was stamped with the word teleo, T-E-L-E-O. It's a Greek word, teleo. And it meant paid in full. Even today when we pay a debt sometimes or we receive a promissory note, we get the, that, that stamp that says 
paid in full. Don't you like to see that? Can I tell you something? When Jesus hung on the cross, he used a form of this word teleo as he hung on the cross. In John 19, 30, the Bible says that he said from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. What he meant was that the debt of mankind had been paid for in full by his death on the cross. What does that mean? What does that mean to you and me? Well, here's what it means. It means that no one else can claim us anymore. No devil, no demon, no witch doctor. I've already been paid for. What does it mean to me? It means that we belong to Jesus and are forever out of Satan's grasp. The devil can harass us, yes. He can tempt us, yes. But he can never take full ownership of our soul ever again. What does it mean? It means that Jesus bought us. He redeemed us with his blood. And we are forever his. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I drive, I drive, I go all kinds of different ways to and from work here. Because I never go the same way twice. And I love going through the back roads. With all the traffic on the main roads, I found ways that I didn't even know were ways. Still lots of potholes, but different ways. And uh, have, you ever, have you noticed all the for sale signs in the yard? Every so often I'll see these for sale signs and then every so often you'll see one that has a big sign over it that says, sold, sold. Sold means that nobody else can bid on that house anymore. The papers of ownership have been signed and the buyer has paid the full price. No one else can claim that house. It's teleo. It's paid in full. Think about it. In Jesus, we're under a new covenant. In Jesus, we're under a contract with, with God. We have a contract with God signed in the blood of Jesus and sealed in our hearts with his spirit. In fact, the apostle Peter wrote this. He says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Wow. ask you all to stand wherever you are. This new life that I'm talking about is the supernatural life of God. In fact, the Bible calls it the Zoe life. Z-O-E, it's a Greek word, it means the life of God. It's God's life on the inside of you. 
and it's flowing in us. When you accept Christ, this new life begins to work on the inside of you, inside out. You know, people without Christ, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you only have biological life and death, biological life and breath. You're a living being, but the spiritual part of you or the spiritual part of a person without Christ is dead because this can only come alive through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, we who are believers are different from regular people. It's not a source of pride for us, but it's a demonstration of God's mercy towards us. He's given us Zoe life. what he's given to you and I he desires all people everywhere to receive those of us we who have received God's saving redeeming mercy we have a responsibility from him to be merciful to others to share with them the good news of his mercy and his redeeming grace through the blood of Jesus Christ this is God's gift to us. Today, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never shared in the redeeming value of the gospel, I'm going to ask our pastors to come quickly. I'm going to ask our pastors to come quickly. Today's your day. Get out of your seat. I don't care where you're at. Don't leave here without coming to one of these pastors and saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> I've never given my life to Christ, but today is my day. Today is my day. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want this Zoe life. I, 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 I see I'm a pearl. I want this revelation of who I am. God showed it to you today. All of a sudden you see that you're more valuable. You don't have to live in that grief that pain, that facade, pretending that you're something you're not. You don't have to act like your selfie page. What are, what are they called? Your Instagram. Ah, look how much fun I'm having here and here and here and here. You're not having that much fun. It looks good on the Instagram, but that was really a bum trip. You know it and I know it. It just looks good on the Instagram. The truth is, car broke down. You fought with your wife. The kids were sick. It was a terrible trip. We're having fun. Now we had some fun and it was, I understand, but let's get real. God loves you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.